0: So it's, it's long bothered me uh, in scripture how the characters who are men in scripture, even the best ones, the ones that we admire and aspire to be like, were such poor fathers. Uh, the books of Samuel are probably the best place to go to see that pattern. It starts with Eli very early in 1 Samuel, great man, good, faithful, godly man, but his kids were terrible, he didn't restrain them, even when he knew the things they were doing. Uh, then, and then Samuel comes on the scene, a godly man. Um, he, he seems to be able to lead the whole nation with great integrity, as they themselves say in 1 Samuel 8, about Samuel's um, behavior among the people. But his kids uh, just don't follow his pattern, and that's the very reason people want the king's. And so in come the kings, even though Samuel hated it. And then you have now, where we are in 2 Samuel 13, you have David becoming, he's a man after God's own heart, and by all accounts, a great man with a heart for God and holiness, Um, but his kids just don't follow suit. And this is terrifying for us dads, and I'm going to talk about this just a little tonight, very brief lesson tonight about this. Because of this, I've come to the conclusion it's a whole lot easier for a person to conduct themselves with spiritual integrity. It's a lot harder to have the kind of spiritual integrity that inspires others. That's a different thing altogether. It's like I can take care of my own stuff and be right with God my own self, but, by, but to live in such a way as to inspire my children to follow after me is a completely different thing. It's not just taking care of my walk, but it's overseeing theirs. And this is not automatic at all. And I want to use the story of 2 Samuel 13, which is so tragic. We talked about it last time, and it's not a very, uh, a very positive feeling chapter as you read it it gets harsh and it gets ugly and it makes you feel yucky but I want to say some things to dads tonight some things I think we learned from David that we could do better and I say this as an imperfect dad myself Uh, I, I look after I think fairly decently my own walk but sometimes I failed to inspire theirs and I think that's a hard thing to do and sometimes we don't even know how to do that David I think first should have more clearly repented when he sinned a little more openly i don't know how publicly he did this i mentioned this last time i know that there's psalm 51 and it's in the psalm book of israel i get that i just don't know how widely he actually confessed his sin but in psalm 51 he even says uh, I've sinned before God and God alone. I think maybe he means primarily. I don't know how else to explain that because the truth is he sinned against a whole lot of people. He owed a whole lot of apologies. When you have offended someone else, it is very good for you to get clear with God, a real good come-to-Jesus prayer with God. But that's not all. Jesus said when you're offering your praise and worship to God, and there you remember somebody has something against you, what do you need to do immediately? Repent before God. No! Leave the gift there. Go find that person. You owe them some conversation of making this thing right. I think David should have gone on CNN and said, I sinned with that woman, unlike our presidents. I did sin with this woman. He should have said before his children, I made a mistake. I sinned. I transgressed the law of God. He was able to say that to God. I'm not sure he was able to say that to fellow man. And that's only half the job, y'all. That's only half. He owed an explanation. Not an explanation. He just owed repentance. And what repentance does, it doesn't make things right, but it sets the bar back up. It says to everybody, I acknowledge, I went outside the bounds. Even I, the king, am under the law of God. And I rose up in rebellion against that law, stood up above that law, and I made myself more important than God's law. And today, here in front of you, he should have said, I'm putting myself back under it. What I did was wrong, and I'm placing myself back under this standard. Let everybody know, reinforce the standard. Sometimes our repentance, our opportunity to repent to the people who knew what happened and know us best is that we're sharing with them a teaching moment. I need to live under the authority of God and there are moments when I get just obnoxiously silly and I rise above it in rebellion and I want to put myself back under that. He should have done this for his kids. He should have done this for Bathsheba. He should have done it for his wives. Don't. I hope you never have to do this for your wives. I hope you only have to ever do this for your wife, right? But the idea is you need to say it. And I think dads are pretty good at apologizing with actions. But sometimes you need to articulate and say with your lips what you did wrong. If in the family you blew up and lost your temper... Don't say, well, they'll get used to it, or don't say, well, I'm going to outlive that, with my, I'm going to get better at this. You need to say with your lips what you did wrong. It's a great teaching moment for your children to hear you say it. I'm under the standard of God in Scripture. What we read on Sunday morning, I'm under that, and I didn't live under that. I need to put, lower myself and humble myself and put myself back under that standard. I think dads need to do this better. I think we dads need to do this better second going back to the story of last time David should have dramatically reprimanded Amnon in some way you cannot stay silent when an act like this happens in your family you cannot act like it's no big deal. You cannot sweep it under the rug. You cannot not address it. It is absolutely ludicrous to think you're going to create this vacuum where I'm simply not going to say anything. And in that vacuum, somebody will fill it. They will fill it with bitterness and rage, or that bitterness will turn inside, and they'll be depressed the rest of their lives when they think that, they're, that, they think that their father doesn't say anything about this. We were watching Little House in the Prayer the other day, as all Christians should. And there was this girl. You remember Nellie? Anybody remember Nellie? If I see her in real life, I will hate her. (laughs) Nellie was replaced. They go to a children's home to replace her when she goes off to New York with her new husband. Replaces her with Nancy. Nancy's even worse. She is like an evil spirit, demented person, like Legion in the New Testament. And she is so and she's so manipulative. she creates stories that just makes people, "Oh, that's so sad, but really she's just manipulating." And she kept manipulating and manipulating, and people started hating. And they, finally, the whole community got together and found a way to get back at her. They put her in the primary draw for the fair at Walnut Grove, uh, Minnesota. And she was going to be the mermaid. Well, what it was was a dunking booth. She had no idea what it was, and they kept it all behind wraps, right? And they put her on it. She thought she was just going to, she's the most beautiful and all this stuff. Well, when they opened this thing, and suddenly she realized what happened, everybody in the town was one. They couldn't wait to throw the, the ball that hits that thing and dunks her, right? Oh, and she's so mad and angry about it all, and she starts confessing all the things that she's done and that she's lied about. And her mom comes up there, her adopted mom comes up there. And as the story ends with her just agreeing to go ahead and do this thing where she's dunked over and over again, the story ends with she realized uh, during the course of this that she was loved because people wouldn't let her get away with stuff. You think it's true that kids want someone to hold them accountable and not get away with stuff? You think they want somebody who cares enough to say, No. You think that's true, or do you think some parents making that up for Little House on the Prairie episode? I kind of think it's true. And I think by leaving Amnon out there and just saying, you can behave this way, and I'm never going to address it, it says, I don't care much about you. Now, we'll talk about Tamar here in just a minute, but for Amnon, the idea is I think this man, David, should have trained this boy how to be a man, how to treat a woman, and how to handle his appetites, to train him, I'm a man just like you, we have natural appetites about us, and we've got to control ourselves. He should have done that. He should have sat down with him and not just just used the Bathsheba incident to repent, but he should have used that incident to diagram for his son where he went wrong. Dads should share their negative examples. I'm going to say this again. Dads, should share their negative examples. Don't let your kids go out there and learn from their own experience without at least attempting to let them learn from yours. At least attempting. Now, you've also got positive examples you can use about yourself and use them, but it takes some conversation. It takes a little time. I think when Amnon says to his dad, Dad, I want Tamar, my beautiful sister, to come in here and cook for me and feed me. He should have asked a few more questions. That's just a little weird, right? He should have asked more questions. And then Amnon could have said to his dad, Dad, don't you trust me? And dad could have said, No, I don't trust you. Can I tell you something, sons? We love you, but we don't trust you. Any more than I trust my own heart sometimes that can act up and absolutely fool me. Now, I don't know really what he could have done. But I'm going to show you a couple of things Deuteronomy tells us he could have done. Two options about this is rape. So I'll just say that this is what happens. And listen, in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is given the law, Moses, apparently God knows this is going to happen. How, why else do you have a law about this? When you get human beings interacting with each other, God knows we act up sometimes, and he knows this is going to happen. So here's, here's option number one. He should be killed. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 25 through 27. He should be killed. That's one of the things. The rapist should be taken out. That's one option. Here's option number two, and this sounds weird to us. Arrange for a marriage or at least a Fine. Where the father enters the picture. The father enters the picture. Here's the weird thing. In this case, the father of the one committing the crime is the same father as the one being mistreated. This is weird. Admittedly, this is weird. But he could have arranged for a marriage to happen here. And this is what's... Can I tell you, if, if you have children and they make this mistake and the girlfriend gets pregnant by the boyfriend, please don't force a marriage. Don't do that. If it's appropriate and they both love each other and this is the right thing, then go ahead and encourage it. If it's not, do not. I, know, I don't think people do this anymore, but they used to just force this marriage. Don't do that. Two wrongs don't make anything right. Now here's what's weird in Israel is that what you know from what she says is she's doomed to be unmarried and destitute all her life because of the way the culture is. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in this way, the, the king could have arranged for them to be married if they both agreed to it. And he was, if not, he could have fined his son in some sort of way. And he should have. He should have done something to address this. There's I don't know the right way for him to have this conversation. I don't know the right thing that would have done the right kind of weight on his actions. But he should have done something. Dad should have done something. And he should have had a conversation. David, I think also in this chapter, should have cared more for Tamar. This one grips your heart all the way into your throat. The cultural values of that time I don't even pretend to understand. It's certainly strange. It was most of these laws, as odd as they seem to us, protected the woman. As, and I know it's, sometimes it's hard to see it, but when you understand it in their culture, you'll, you, you would see it. But the idea that she would wear her shame, there's nothing that she did that was shameful wear her shame for the rest of her life because of what was done to her? He's the king, for crying out loud. He could reconstruct or deconstruct what makes this shameful about her and that culture. The king should have done something to vindicate her, to publicly exonerate her, or in whatever way, to build her back up and make her understand she still has the opportunity for a future. David, of all people, knows... What it's like to deserve one thing from culture and get something else called grace. And for her, she didn't even deserve it. She didn't even deserve the shame in the first place. But he has the power. He has the power and the relationship with God to change this for his own daughter. And he doesn't. Dads, we need to be affectionate, supportive, and gentle with our daughters. Hug them, even when they get to be teenagers. It gets a little strange, and it gets a little awkward. You're like, I don't really know what she wants. She wants a hug from you. She needs to still get hugs from you. And you need to love her and support her and advocate for her when the opportunity presents itself. Perhaps if he had done that, the story would have ended different. There's one more thing that tonight's passage adds to it. Join me at verse 23. After two full years, this is where on Spongebob, the guy would go across the TV and go, two years later. This is where that was two entire years. David does nothing. Amnon's just being a playboy. Absalom is steaming, and he's plotting and scheming as well. He's had two years to watch his dad do nothing about this. And while he's doing nothing, Absalom is just absolutely just infuriated. So he comes up with a plan. And the story goes like this. He's going to have a sheep shearing party at the end of the year. They shear all the sheep. And when they do all this, they come together and have this great festival. And they feed each other and they have a party and all that. So Absalom decides he's going to have a huge old party. He's going to have all the king's donkeys and all the king's men come to his house and have this great big party, right? He comes up to David and he says, I want you as the king to be there. What David knows, and he says it this way in the text, if he comes, he brings his whole entourage and it's going to be very burdensome and expensive. And so David begs off, I don't want to overwhelm you. And Absalom lets that go, but he says, I definitely want Amnon there. Now at this point, David, if he's engaged at all with his kids, knows that's a weird, specific request for his son to make. But he acts like, well, okay. So he asks him, why do you want him there? Well, he's one of the king's sons and all that stuff. And so he does. He invites them all over. Well, Amnon, Absalom came up with this plan that when Amnon gets there, he's got some friends around him. That when Amnon is drunk enough, he's going to make sure his friends get rise up and kill Amnon. And they do that. They get they get him drinking enough, and they rise up and they kill Amnon. Which there's a couple of things. Obviously, this is vengeance. And in some sense, it's justice for what Amnon did, but it's also killing the first one to be the right to the throne after David. So it's like it's kind of like self-promoting politically beneficial to him, too. That just kind of throws that in there for a new wrench, right? Well, the report gets back to David. All the sons are killed. And he's devastated. He's tearing his clothes and hes ashes. And all his, but but, but no, it wasn't the case. Uh, the, the other sons immediately get on their donkeys and go on back home. David finds out about it. He's enraged at Absalom, but Absalom runs off to his grandpa's kingdom, his mama's dad's kingdom, and he lives there for three years. And David is mourning for his son. I don't know which son he's mourning for. It doesn't say. It's ambiguous. Is he mourning over Amnon? Is he mourning over Absalom? Is he mourning over both? And he longs to go to Absalom, but he never does. What I'm going to say here is this next one. You, when, when trouble like this comes into your family, you need to address this. There needs to be more conversation with Absalom. Put that next one on there if you would. I'm not even sure exactly how I put that. Is there one more in there? Yeah. He should have connected more with him. And what I mean is this. They've been at an impasse apparently. And then for three years he's off in another kingdom. He longs to have him back, but he doesn't know how to start the conversation. So David just lets it go. You can, in some ways, in the next chapter you'll find out, they find a way to consider this kind of an act of justice that Absalom does. These impasses where we refuse to talk to each other and hammer things out are not to happen under the watch of the father of the family. We need to have conversations with each other, tough ones where we talk about very difficult things. When things like this happen, David needs to do something. David needs to have a conversation and take charge. And there's all sorts of wrong ways you can do it, but there's, there's all sorts probably of right ways. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. But to do nothing is not an option because doing nothing is doing something and it's making it worse. And he just lets it be this void and this vacuum that ends up being the source of, of Absalom plotting an idea to overthrow his father's throne. This anger and rage that builds up within families that slowly seeps into behaviors over the years really is not a good thing for families, and dads need to take charge of this and at least attempt conversations. And I know we dads are not confrontational. A lot of us aren't. And a lot of us don't like to articulate things and face these difficult issues, especially when you don't have a clear-cut answer for what to do. Do something. Do something. These silence moments that breed contempt for each other don't belong in your family. Looking at this and just kind of understanding this, I'd say from tonight that dads need to be more active in responding to family situations in a loving manner, taking our cue from God who loves and is patient and is gentle with us. It, always not, it won't always be clear what exactly is the right thing to do, but take time to consider it. This meets us many times in our parenting lives. When a son disrespects his mother, what should a dad do? If you do nothing that will pile up and later it will haunt you. You don't let that go unaddressed. When a son struggles with sexual orientation or even gender identity, as it seems so volatile in our world, and I'm seeing families struggle with this, right? How should a dad respond? Notice I didn't say what should a dad believe. I think, I think it's pretty clear for us in Scripture what we believe. But that's not the question. The question is what do you do? It's real easy to sit back and preach a text. What do you do in your family for this? When your kids get in trouble with authorities, how should you respond? When your kids, no matter what age, are mistreated in some way that's terribly unfair, what do you do? David was paralyzed with uncertainty, and so he did nothing. And I can understand that. That's the easiest thing to do. And sometimes nothing is right like what he did with with Saul chasing him. But a lot of times it's not. It should be quite common and comfortable for dads to fess up when they mess up, address misbehavior in a way that's gracious but firm and right, to provide comfort in a way that's empathetic and understanding and gracious and to figure out how to respond to things you never even imagined happening. And one wise thing to do, that's nowhere in this text, but it is in 1 Peter. One of my favorite lines about this, when, when Peter's talking about the suffering and the unfairness and injustice that happens to Christians sometimes, he says, your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. You're not the first to experience any of these scenarios that come up in your life. There are others who faced it before, and they exist right here in the church. And one of the things to do, that I encourage people, they never do it, but I still preach it. You know we preach things that we know it will never be done. Right? That happens. One of the things is ask. Ask around for people who might know. Do your research and do your best. But by all means, dads... Don't do nothing. Be the father of your family. That's what God called you to. That's the way God's pattern is for us. And that's the role you have, whether you like it or not. And so I'd say embrace it the best you can. Do your research. Pray a lot. Ask the elders. And then do something. Do something that blesses your family in the long run. Take care of your family and be the dad you've been called to do. I feel like those are the things that if they had been done, these stories would have ended differently. At least they could have. And maybe maybe in your family there needs to be something that makes the way things are going right now turn different. It's not going to happen, though, unless something is done. This evening, if you have a spiritual need that we can meet in this assembly of people, We will do what we can to share the wisdom and experience that we have and pray with you and just let you know that we're on your side. Whatever is your need this evening, make it known as we stand and as we sing.